We are in our series called Time for a Change, and what we've been talking about is what does change look like? What does it look like in your life? Um, what does it look like when change is forced upon you? What does it look like when you want to change real bad, uh, except you've tried that a bunch of different times, and now um, it, it looks a little bit different. If any of you are a personal trainer or had a personal trainer or whatever, you know what it's like to have someone walk alongside of you to try to get you to change. And last week, we talked about the fact that change is hard. It is. I mean, no, no matter what you're doing, if you're trying to get your budget into, under control, that's hard because you have patterns and habits that you've been doing for some time that now all of a sudden need to, need to be different. If you're trying to get your physical body into shape, that's hard. Uh, and so that's what we were, we were talking about last year. This morning, what I want to talk about is what happens when change is demanded rapidly. Because all of us, even though we know we need to change, we have a, a timeline for ourselves that we think is appropriate. And, you know, we think, okay, I'm going to get, in 2016, I'm going to get my budget in order. Well, what about next week? Why don't you just start right now? Well, I will, but I mean, you don't want to go crazy, or I'm going to get my, I'm going to get my eating in, 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 into shape and all that. And it's like, well, okay, great, good. You start tomorrow. Well, no, what I was going to do, because you don't want to shock your body. That's very dangerous, okay? So whatever, whatever your excuses are, whatever. Ch- change happens rapidly. And, and, and sometimes change happens rapidly to us, and we did not ask for it. We didn't expect it. All of a sudden, that person walks up to us and says, I don't think our relationship's working out anymore. And it's like, wait, what? I thought things were going well. Maybe you're in a company, and they'd, all of a sudden they say, you know what, we're moving to Tennessee. You can move with us if you'd like. <laughs> or you can stay here. Either way. And, and change is thrust upon you. Now this is actually very timely because tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. And um, he ushered in a time that for some people had taken forever to get to. Because they were the ones who were disenfranchised. They were the ones who were the ones suffering. And then there was another group that was like, yeah, no, we get it. We know things aren't perfect, but, but let's not go, go crazy. Now, the, um, the white dude on the left is B.T. Roberts with the sweet chops. That's B.T. Roberts. We are a free Methodist church. Okay, that's our denomination. We don't have it posted, not because we're uh, ashamed of it or anything. It's just that if you, we put Garden Grove Free Methodist Church, people would think that it's free meth, and it just, it's a weird thing. But anyway, so it's a little free Methodist joke you can take out into the community if you'd like. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, you're like, like, woohoo! And you're like, no! Okay, anyway, sorry about that. Um, I don't think I'll recover from that one. Anyway, uh, so in 1850, uh, B.T. Roberts was part of the Methodist movement. And the Methodist movement was started by John Wesley. And I'll go through it quickly. It's a history lesson. You can fall asleep if you want. But he started this movement where, where God began to be real in people's lives. Through small groups, through studying the Bible, through making commitments, through accountability. And that was called the Methodist movement. And the reason it was called Methodist is because there were systems or methods to grow in your relationship with God. And addictions were were being broken, and people who were normal, just farmers, found that God had instilled them with gifts and strengths, and they were going out, and they were just wrecking shop for the kingdom. Well, what happens in every movement is then after the movement goes, it begins to slow down, and then there's a monument, and then there's an institution. And once the institution happens, uh, that's when God is like, hey, you guys got it. 
I'm out, okay? And that's what had happened when B.T. Roberts was there. B.T. Roberts looked around and said, why is it that we have slavery in the church of Jesus Christ? This is an injustice, and it needs to end now. So he began to shake things up. He began to say, you know, there were pastors who would have slaves. And he, this just broke his heart. And some other movements that were happening, why we're free Methodists, is the rich people would buy the pews in the front. And that's where their family sat. Kind of like what's going to happen when you guys go to one service. You're like, that's my pew. I sit there all the time. Look, look at the indentations. Let's do a match. We'll see if it works. Right? Like that's, that's what was going on. And, and he was like, this is ridiculous. And so the poor people would be in the back, the rich people would be up front, the African Americans would be in the back, the white people would be up front. He's like, this, is, this has got to stop. Well, as you can imagine, if you're used to having the comforts of something, the benefits of something, even when it's at the expense of somebody else, even when you know it's wrong, you might say, oh, I'll take some change, but just not so fast. This is a benefit to me. And so B.T. Roberts split from the Methodist Church and started the Free Methodist Church where we love diversity of all different kinds, socioeconomic, uh, ethnic. I mean, we just love diversity. It's part of our DNA. That's who we are. As a matter of fact, I, I don't think this church could ever get too diverse as far as I'm concerned. So we love it. Well, uh, the guy on the right is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and he was going through the same thing. There was injustice. There were things where he said, it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be segregated. And there was a portion of the population that said, oh, well, okay, I, we understand things were bad. Things were bad in the past, but let's not go crazy because my family goes to this school, and we don't want to just wreck it. We'd, let's just start to... And so there were people who were comfortable, who were receiving benefits that didn't want the change. And here's the thing. We look back now and we think, how did we let that go so long? And in many, many ways, shocker of all shockers, it's still going on, okay? And so, so 20 years from now, hopefully, we'll be at a place and go, how did we let that go on too long? And, and all this kind of stuff. Well, there are some things where change just needs to happen now because of the injustice. Now, I'm off my soapbox for that for right now. I, I know you can't take a, a, a really complex issue and boil it down into one sentence. That's, that's what Twitter's for, okay? Uh, but, but imagine... If your heavenly father comes upon a situation in your life and he says, change this has to happen now. What we're, we, you can't put it off for a year and I'll do this and I'll do that or whatever. Change needs to happen now. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. About a man that came to Jesus and asked him some questions and wanted the fullness of the kingdom, wanted a, a deep experience with God. He was wealthy, and so he had, he had managed his life pretty well, but there was just this aching in him. And so he comes to Jesus, and they have this conversation on, on, on what, what happens when God demands change right away. And so I, I just want to give you a, what's happening in society or in Jesus' ministry at this time. Jesus is, is well known now. He's getting a name for himself. He's healing people. He's teaching. And his teaching is different than the scribes and Pharisees. He's teaching as one with authority. 
Okay, somebody who, who uh, the scribes and Pharisees would argue over the text, and I think it means this, and Jesus was about life change and about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself, whatever the cost is. As a matter of fact, Jesus made a statement one time uh, uh, that was so strong. He said, if you're going to follow me, you better be willing to take up your cross. You better be willing to die. You better be willing to, to put it down. So people like to listen to him. The other thing that was happening was he was breaking all sorts of social barriers, and he was doing it too fast. He was, he was um, valuing women, which in that culture, you, you didn't value women. He was crossing um, cultural boundaries and hanging out with Samaritans, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. And he, and he was just like breaking all these rules. And one of the rules he was breaking was that he was allowing kids to come into the conversation and to be part of the ministry, which was just not... That was, kids had no value in that culture. And so that's where we are now. Jesus had, uh, was welcoming these kids in uh, to what was going on. He was actually um, touching them and, and blessing them and paying attention to them. And the disciples freaked out and they started rebuking the kids and the parents. Like, hey, get your kids out of here. Now, now what was happening was... The disciples liked the change that was happening for them. They got to leave the fishing boat. They got to hang out with Jesus. They got to be around the crowds. They got to be kind of up in front and, and minister to Jesus and be like, yeah, I'm with Jesus. What was that, Jesus? Oh, like we were talking last night, right, Jesus? You know, they, they got to be firsthand with the miracles. They got to go in the boat with him and do all this kind of stuff. They, they were kind of rising to power. As a matter of fact, one time it got so bad, they started arguing over who was the greatest in following Jesus, which again, you and I think, how do you even argue that? Like, but that's what was happening. They were, they were liking that. Now these children were cheapening their ministry. The, the, the children were getting in the way of all this kind of stuff. And so Jesus freaks out. The Bible says he was indignant. Like he's just like, he's just like, are you kidding me, guys? And he says this. He says, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And I, just to get an idea of how serious Jesus is about this and how different his idea of the kingdom was than the disciples. And maybe how different his idea of the kingdom of God in your life is different than what you think. He does this. And I just love this because it gives you the heart of who he is. He took the children in his arms. See, before, if you read the Bible, it says he was blessing them. But now he says this thing to them. He says, unless somebody goes after the kingdom of God like one of these children, it's going to be difficult for them. And he grabs them and holds them and blesses them. Like, I'm so serious about this. I'm going to hold them. Man, so you've got to get, keep that picture in the back of your mind because Jesus is going to unload some serious truth on somebody in just a few, week, in a few minutes, okay? So, so just get, get loving Jesus with the child, okay? All right, so there you go. That's, that's, where, that's where we are. So that's where we are. And, uh, and so as Jesus started on his way, a man, and we'll, we're going to learn later that this was a wealthy man, a man um, ran up. Uh, ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. So just so we don't lose the cultural context, wealthy people and powerful people didn't run, okay? You know, it would be like, could you imagine the president of the United States gets off his helicopter and just starts jamming into the White House? I mean, you don't. You you, you don't run. Matter of fact, the wealthier you were, if you were super, super wealthy, you'd be carried. 
by, by your servants. And that's how you'd get around because you don't, you don't run. The, the world doesn't revolve around. The world revolves around you. You don't revolve around the world. Or if you weren't being carried, you'd be riding something. And then maybe those would be walking behind you or what have you. Or you'd just be walking, you know, as you go down the level, you know, you'd have your posse with you and they'd look at you and be behind you a little bit like in a thing. And you'd kind of walk and you'd walk up to Jesus and you'd be like, this guy runs up to Jesus and he does something else that you wouldn't do in that culture. He gets on his knees. This was an honor-shame society. So you were always trying to be honored. You never wanted to be shamed. And that's why when Jesus has these arguments with the Pharisees and he wins, it's worse than that, okay? Because they were shamed, and that's the worst thing you could do. This guy shames himself, and he comes to Jesus. Now, why would a rich person do that? And this is what he asks. Good teacher... What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that sounds like a, a fair question to ask Jesus. Matter of fact, Jesus has the answer to that question. But, but that, that's what he is. He comes, he humbles himself. Something was going on in this guy. He was wealthy. He had it all together. He'd managed a really good portion of his life well. But there's something happening in him that he says, I'm missing something. And it's driving me crazy. And... Furthermore, if you have means, he's probably tried everything. And he's at this spot where his soul is empty. He's got all the things that he'd want. And he says, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Some of you might be here this morning in that very spot. You've tried everything. You might have come here and you don't even know if you believe the Bible. You don't even know if you believe in God. You just go, what do I need to, I just, there's something wrong there's something off kilter. You're welcome here. And I think Jesus has an answer for you as well. So, so this is the question he has. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I, like I said, that's a fair question. But Jesus is not interested in answering questions. He wants you to answer the question. That's why we do a series. We did one of, a few years ago called Questions. And it was just the questions that God asks and what Jesus asks. And we're going to end up, I, I, I believe this year, doing another one of those. Jesus says this. Why do you call me good? <laughs> He says, good teacher. That's all he says, just good teacher. What do I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, why do you call me good? He's like, wait, what? Did, did I call you good? I don't know. I asked the question about eternal life. And, you know, what? and he says, why do you call me good? And listen to what he says. No one is good except God alone. <laughs> Which, spoiler alert. <laughs> okay, um, anyway. Uh, so so he, he, here's, here's where Jesus is going with this. You come to me on your terms. There's something wrong with your soul. And you feel like you're going to miss something in the kingdom of God. You feel like you're missing out on some deeper relationship with God. You've tried to manage your life and you're missing something. But here's my question. And this is the question I think God is asking him. Do you want eternal life? Do you want God to fill in the gaps of your soul? Do you want God to fill in the gaps of your life? Do you want to check off boxes or do you want God? Because the questions you're asking are in going to invite God into your life. Not necessarily eternal life, that's great, but he's going to take control. No one's good except God. Do you want God? (laughs) Here's the way God talks to me, okay? The question God would ask me. 
Do you want me or do you want what I do for you? Do you want me or do you want me to do something, to fill in a spot? Do, do, you, do you want me? Are, are, we start, are we having a relationship together, you and I, where I get, to, I get to do whatever I want? I get to be Lord over your life? Or do you want me to just show up and kind of manage some other parts that you're not managing very well? That is an excellent question. And so he, he stops there. No one is good except God alone. And then Jesus starts riffing off the Ten Commandments. He says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Okay? So the, 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 these are the, the commandments. Now, again, there's a debate in our, our, our culture of whether you should have the Ten Commandments up in the courtroom and all, all that kind of stuff. But here's what I know statistically in a group this size. Um, there's probably 10 to 12% of you that actually know all Ten Commandments off the top of your head. Now, I know I've just lost most of you because you're like, uh, let's see, this. okay, an eye for an eye, uh, do unto others, uh, okay, yeah, don't, just stop, listen, I'm talking right now, so don't do that, okay, this guy knew the Ten Commandments, I promise you, anybody, any Jew knew the Ten Commandments, okay, you learned it when you were very young, and when you, when you said the Ten Commandments, you did them in order, okay, Jesus blows past the first four. Jesus doesn't say the first four commandments. And the thing is, the first one's really, 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 really important. Like without the first one, the other ones don't really matter. And Jesus blows past the first four commandments. You know what this tells me? Jesus didn't know the Ten Commandments either. No, I'm just kidding. So you're okay. He didn't even know, right? Or, Jesus is going somewhere with this. Jesus is, is, is trying to drive this guy to a different conclusion than what he wanted. So, he, he goes through these six, and, and, and as I read the text, I can't tell whether or not the guy interrupts Jesus, or is like, yeah, 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 I, I know all that, I tried all that, or whatever. Or Jesus just stops, and the guy's like, I don't think he knows the first four. You know, I got, but here's what the guy says. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a little boy or since I was a boy. Like I've done that. There's something still going on in me. There's something, I, I, I tried the religion thing. I, 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 I've managed my life. What, what is going on? What is wrong with me? And again, you might be in this spot right now. Where you're like, you know, you've been attending church or whatever, but there's still something going on. You've tried to change, and maybe change has been happening slowly, and that's okay. We talk here all the time about this is a journey. This isn't a destination. And so we take this journey together and our walk with Jesus to get to know him better. But watch what happens. And I, this is why I want you to riff back to the Jesus just holding those children, saying, this is how you got to come to the kingdom. And blessing them. Because Jesus looked at him and loved him. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've maybe had a a kid. Maybe it's been your child. Or maybe you're an aunt or an uncle and you've had a niece or a nephew. Or or maybe you're single and, and you just, you're around kids. And you're speaking into their lives or what have you. Where you have that moment where you see somebody and, and you know they're not getting it. 
and they're adamant about something and, and, and you just look at them and you're just like, oh man, you're, you're missing the whole point. And it might not even be a child. It might be a coworker, or you're in a relationship or what have you and the person, you're just on different things and you know, you know they're just missing it and there's just this sense of, ah, oh, this is what's happening to Jesus. He looks at this guy and he's like, dude, you're, you're, I'm about to unload a really, really, really difficult truth on you right now. I'm about ready to answer your question. And he says this. He boils it down to one thing. He says, one thing you lack. Now, you can imagine somebody like this rich young ruler who, who's like, one thing I lack. This is great. What is it? He probably has a pad of papyrus out or whatever you used at that time and whatever you writing implement you'd have. And he's like, one thing, go ahead, give it to me. Like, do I need to learn more? I can hire the best tutors. Jesus, I have access to the best tutors on, on the planet. Just tell me, I'll get, I'll, I'll get them right now. It doesn't matter what it costs me. It doesn't matter what it costs me. You tell me. Is it, is it my diet? Because I kind of strayed off of the dietary laws a little bit because there's this restaurant down the street that's pretty awesome and they have bacon. And by the way, bacon is fantastic. Uh, you know, so whatever. Okay, okay, I won't. I'll, I'll hire chefs and I'll only kosher, you know, wh- whatever. I mean, it, it, what is it? What do you want me to do? Just one thing? I'll do one thing. Anyone can handle one thing. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus takes... The first four commandments of the Bible, of the, of the Ten Commandments, and he boils it down to one thing. He puts flesh on it. He says, the first four commandments of the Bible need to be obeyed, and here's how you're going to obey them. And, and this is what happens to us a lot, and this is where we can get caught up in rapid change, because... Because we see so-and-so over there, and they're doing something that we're doing, but God has already wrapped up the first four commandments, and we're not allowed to do that. But they get to. Well, God's working with them a whole different way of how to fulfill those first four commandments. So maybe they can do something. But he's not talking to them. He's talking to us. He's talking to us individually. And so if the rich young ruler were here, he'd, Jesus would walk up and he'd go, okay, Here's the thing. Here's what's stopping you from growing. And it's just brutal. <laughs> he says, go sell everything you have. At that point, the rich young ruler looked up from his papyrus pad and went, excuse me? <laughs> well, I'm sorry. That was so weird because I just heard you say, sell all that I have. Like, you probably don't know who I am, <laughs> you know? Like, that's the thing. Jesus just drops the hammer. Enough. This is your problem. You wanted to know how to get eternal life? Which isn't really what you were asking. You were missing, you had a void of God in your life. You've tried all these things. You've tried to manage all these different areas. And you're coming up short. And you want me to fill in the gaps. But guess what? Jesus isn't in the business of filling in gaps. Okay? He doesn't want us to manage our life and then where we come short, we say, hey, Jesus, come over here. Why don't you handle that? I'll take care of the rest. He says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Right? He's probably thinking treasure in heaven. Well, 
Like, why, why would I want that? I, got, I have like a house and all, all this kind of stuff. And he says, then, let's go. Come follow me. In the same way, God for each of us is pointing out the things in our life where we need rapid change. It's not going to be like a, a, a long journey. I mean, most of our life with Christ is a long journey. He's chipping away. He's molding us. He's shaping us. But then there comes these times where we get stuck. And he says, that's it. Until that's gone, I can't. This is, this is where you're at. And you can imagine the rich young ruler. And, and he, here's the thing. When we get to a section of scripture like that, you think, I'm supposed to give up, sell everything I have and give it to the poor? No, what you're supposed to do is obey the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. Second commandment, you shall have no graven images. Third commandment, you shall not uh, seek after me as an afterthought and just take my name in vain. Fourth commandment, you should follow the Sabbath. In other words, don't just keep striving and keep striving and keep striving because what will happen is you will get another God because you can't do it on your own. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before you. And so what Jesus is saying is, it's not about how much money you have. If you have a billion dollars, if you won the Powerball, uh, God bless you. It's not about that. It's when that money becomes your God. When you're thinking about it and serving it. Matter of fact, a lot of times money becomes our God, not even in the form of wealth, but in the form of debt. And that we just are mired in debt and it has become our master. And so what Jesus is saying is, sell all you have, blaspheme that other God, kick it to the curb, get rid of it. And here's what the rich young ruler would say. Well, it's not that bad of a God. And I thought maybe you two could partner together. And see, what we could do is, he'll handle all my food, clothing, um, you know, the type of camel I drive, and all that. And then you take care of the soul issue, and that's less work for you anyway. It'll work out perfect. I love my God of money. It's just that it doesn't really help my soul. But that's where you come in. My God of money introduced me to the God of comfort. And he's pretty awesome, if you will. And he introduced me to Amazon Prime, which is amazing, okay? Right? Like, like and, and, and it's like, just, just fill in the gaps, Jesus. Just get the soul thing. And here's what I wrote down for this week. Jesus is not interested in filling your gaps. He's interested in filling up your soul. He's not interested in, in us managing our lives in all these different ways. And then when we finally come up short, we go, okay, here's your list. He says, bump that list. I want the whole thing. Until I get the whole thing, you're going to get stuck in your inability to manage your life. Because we can't manage our lives. And so Jesus gives this harsh word. Sell all that you have. Doesn't that seem impossible? Doesn't it seem impossible to sell all you have and give it to the poor? And besides, that's not even how you get eternal life. <laughs> right? I mean, like, if we're, if, we're, if we're trying to be theologically accurate, like, like there's nothing in the Bible that says you've got to sell all you have to have eternal life. 
What the Bible does say is you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That, is, that sums up the entire law and the prophets. It sums up everything. And if anything gets in the way of that, Jesus has the harsh word, even when he's looking at us with love, even when he's holding us and blessing us, and he says, it's got to go. It's going to have to go. Now, that can come in many, many different forms. For the rich young ruler, his money was the thing that was holding him back. For many of us, it's our money holding us back. And again, not even in the sense that we have so much, but we think about it all the time. We worry about it all the time. We don't give. We're not people of generosity because we're afraid. I I guarantee you that a life with God through Jesus Christ is not one that has any fear in it or any anxiety in it. And so if you're afraid of money, money might be your God. Or if you're afraid of not having enough money, money might be your God. You might be afraid of not having a relationship or whatever. So God wants that removed. Well, here's what happens to this guy. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he'd worshipped that God for a long time. And that God seemingly was doing a pretty good job. But he wasn't. Because he can't. This is a false God. And so he goes away sad and he has this great wealth and you know I have a game that I play with one of my accountability partners called follow it through and uh, what it is is if you're ever tempted to do something um, just follow it through okay like follow it through to its natural end and so so I'll, I'll pick one um, this week with Powerball, I thought, I was in my car, and I just let my mind fantasize about what it would be like if I won the Powerball. Um, and so I started thinking, okay, well, God's not going to let a pastor win the Powerball, because then I, the pastor has to admit that he played the Powerball. And so, uh, and, and no pastor would do that. So, okay, so erase, erase, erase. Uh, how about if one of you guys won the Powerball? And so I started thinking about that. What would it be like if one of you guys won the Powerball? One of the tithers won the Powerball. And so, uh, uh, and so, so all of a sudden, so all of a sudden you split three ways, $500 million. So you'd get $500 million and then the government's going to take 250. So why even play? Okay. So you'd only have 250 million. Um, and so, uh, so you'd have 250 million. So, you know, you know, so the church would get $25 million, like right there. And I started thinking, oh God, that'd be so fantastic. You know, that'd be so awesome. $25 million. You wouldn't have to, and, I, and so I played the game with myself, follow it through. Okay, we, $25 million drops in our bank account right now. Oh, what am I going to do with $25 million? I'll fix everything in the property, like really well, like in gold. I don't know. I don't know what you do, but I, I, I'd do all that. And then, and then, I'd, I'd, um, then what would I do? And I'd, I'd just start going through all these different things. And then I started thinking, well, um, you know, and I, I'm going through and I'm thinking, then we'd start talking as a, as a church. Oh, you know what we should do? We should build a shelter. We should do this. We should do this. And there would be no vision. The vision would be gone because it'd be too, too much to do and too much. It would be a curse. It would be a curse, okay? You know why? Because money's a bad God. It's much, much better to not have the God of money running Living Spring, but the God of the universe running Living Spring that, by the way, didn't give us $25 million <laughs> for a really good reason. And so 
for this man, I decided to follow it through. I just started thinking about what it would be like for me. I'm, I'm rich, and I go up to Jesus. I've met Jesus face to face. And you know he's different, right? And so you, you get to him, and he says, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to sell all you have, and I won't do it. And so I go home. And I open the door, and my wife says, how was work today, honey? And I say, yeah, I, I didn't go to work. I went, I wanted to find that Jesus, you know, the one they're all talking about. And so I found him. She's like, oh, what did he do? Did he do the healings? Did he, uh, he he lets kids walk around him, which is weird. But I got to talk to him. I got to ask him some questions. And his wife says, well, what did he say? Nothing. He's, uh, He's just too extreme for me. It's just too much. And I can imagine him sitting at dinner, just kind of rolling over in his mind, because this is what happens when God talks to you. And this is how you often know. It just never goes away. And it's just spinning around in his mind, spinning around in his mind. He's got his plate. He's like pushing his hummus around, you know, with his pita thing, because he's Jewish and he's got whatever. And, And he says, honey, do you ever wonder, is this it? Like, we've got everything. Is this all there is? And as time goes on, he would hear stories about Jesus walking on water and healing the paralytic and doing these different things. And in the back of his mind, he had to have been thinking, I wonder if I, I, wonder if I sold everything, what would have happened? And he hears these stories about him feeding the 5,000. And wow, he's taking care of everybody's needs. And, and the disciples are doing fine and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And then he hears about Jesus is on trial. And he wonders how he's going to get out of it. And Jesus is crucified. And I don't know if he came up and looked and was like, I don't know. And then he dies. And he, he rises again. And 500 people see Jesus. And he's taken up to heaven. And then Peter takes over and he preaches a sermon. And 3,000 people in one day come to know Know what it's like to lay it all down and to follow Jesus. And the rich young ruler sits there. And he wonders. And that's how I would have followed it through. That's what would have happened to me. I would have always wondered, what would it have been like to really give that thing up? And I never would have known. For you and I, um, like I mentioned before, we're entering into a different chapter at Living Spring. Um, We have done an amazing amount of work over these last 10 years. Uh, We've seen scores of people get baptized. We've seen hundreds of people come to know Jesus. We've remodeled our property. We've done all these things. It's been great. It's been awesome. I've loved every minute of it. But what I would love us to do for this next chapter as we just step into a new season, and this is part of the reason why we're bringing everybody together. And again, it's going to be crowded for a little bit. And we might find it's just not sustainable. It's too crowded. I get too many complaints or whatever. or um, Because it's going to be hard. It's going to be a sacrifice. Like for you guys, you got to get here an hour earlier, Right? The first service, they, they, they can't get to football fast enough, okay? They're going to have to get a DVR or something like that. I mean, it's all, it's all, it's all going to be this thing. The, the staff and the board aren't allowed to park on campus. Now, some of them just found this out now, but this is what's going to happen. 
That, because it, we need to save parking. Volunteers will park on the basketball court so that we have enough room. You might actually have to get here on time. <laughs> so that you can have a seat. I, I'm not pointing anybody out. I'm just saying it's going to be hard, okay? Jesus is asking you to give up those 10 minutes, okay? But here's the thing. Wouldn't you rather try and see what it's like? So that's just the service. That's just the service part. The other thing we're embarking on, on February 20th, as you got your thing, is we're starting our rooted groups. And February 20th is our kickoff dinner. And so if you've signed up, you're invited to this dinner. It's going to be in the sanctuary. Everyone's going to be here. And I'm just going to give a quick word on what to expect in your groups. And so to sign up for a rooted group for you might sound like Jesus is asking you to sell everything you have. Like, like you're like, I'm too busy. That means I got to get a sitter. That means that this, and I, you know, and I don't even know these people. And most of them I don't really even like that much. And the ones I know, and this person from first service took my seat and it's my seat and whatever. But God might be asking you, look, 10 weeks, give it a shot. Step into this new season with us and just see what God can do. And so, yeah, and we're serious about the 10 weeks. We want you to make your two-year group all 10 weeks. So there's that. You have to buy a book that's $15. If you can't pay for it, we have scholarships. Um, you're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to remove all the seats. And, and again, like I said, a group of us have already gone through this. But we remove everything and we have prayer stations. It's a wonderful time with God. And, but it's for like an hour and a half. And you think, I can't pray for an hour and a half. You absolutely can. And it has a huge impact on what your prayer life is like from there on out. Your group does a service project. I don't know what it's going to be. Your group will decide what that is. And maybe one day you work in a soup kitchen or whatever. But we're going to break out of, we're going to, we've done all these things. But now we're going to come together. We're going to grow deeper so that when we expand again into two services, which we most likely will, we do it with a different DNA or different people. It's a different garden, if you will. It's one that I'm incredibly, incredibly excited about. So again, I'm challenging you. Uh, and I, I know, and let me just be honest with some of the dudes in here, okay? Okay? Because I am one. The thought of going into a group and sharing about what you read that week with God is like, nah. <laughs> I ain't doing that, okay? I'll, I'll, tr- I'll let my wife do that. I'll sit home. Honey, tell me what it's like. We'll get it figured out, and we can have our own group. <laughs> that sounds like a dude. Anyway, uh, and so, and so, I would just challenge you to press past that. It's 10 weeks, okay? So that's, that's my personality. But I went through it, and I came out the other end. I'm fine, okay? Matter of fact, I, I'm, closer, I'm closer to God because of it. And so the way we do this, the way we're going to do it is on your connection card, you would write on the back, my, my next step is, and you would write rooted. And here's what we're going to do. We, I've already, if you've done it already, don't fill it out again. I already have you in the database. But this week, we're going to receive those again, and we're going to begin to schedule the groups because we know that all of us do have busy schedules, and we're going to try and get some going on. We're going to try and get some to go on right after church. We're going to try to have some that have child care. We're going to do our best. It starts February 20th. And so, so that's, my, that's my plea. And, 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 and again, if, if you're a neurosurgeon and you have to be on call, you're off the hook, all right? But 
But for some of us, this is the thing. God wants us to, he wants us to stretch ourselves. And if, if our God is our own time and the way we've, we've kind of built our schedule and it's time to break out, let him break through. Let him break through. There's nothing to lose. There's nothing to lose. Um, as Audra comes back up, and we dream about what it'll be like when we're all together with one service and, uh, and, and rooted and you guys will be all fighting. No, it's, it's going to be a blast. It's going to be a blast. We're already planning the services for when we go to one. A um, couple things real quick is acts of worship. Because we talk about when you get up, get dressed, and get here, that is your first act of worship. If you choose to be one of the people that park off campus somewhere and kind of walk and let that, that walking time be the time that you add to your 10,000 steps for Fitbit or you pray and prepare your heart, for, that, that would be one way to serve. That would be one way to serve is to park off campus. Another way to serve, again, would to be here um, at the T word, uh, the on T word, and then, um, and then maybe even early, the E word, okay, um, but then, and this is, this is just freaky stuff I'm talking about right now, to actually sit more forward, okay? Like, like to sit up here so that when, as people do arrive late, because they will, there'll be spots in the back for them. And you're like, well, they didn't get here on time. I don't know. That's their problem, you know? But, okay, we'll talk about that next week. Uh, during this time, we're, this is the time we fill out our connection cards, and so uh, as Adjua leads us in a song of worship, you would fill out your connection cards. And again, as, uh, as Jean-Vier mentioned, if you have a prayer request, we pray for every single one of those every single week. Write it out uh, on, your, on, your, on, the, on that card where it says my prayer request, okay? Because we want to make sure we don't miss that. Um, if you want to sign up for Rooted, you can do that too. If we have all your information, you don't need to put your phone number on there or whatever. The problem is, is I'll go back in to put in your phone number and it'll already be in the database and it's a waste of time. So just if we have everything good, if you're like, I've never given you my phone number and I'm going to do it for the very first time, put it in there and we'll update it. The other thing we do is we take our offering at this time. Now, a lot of us give online, but some of you, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't know who you are. I don't care who you are. But for some of you, this idea of giving sacrificially to God is something that you just don't think you can do. And it is a barrier to your relationship with him. I know for some of you who are new to church, you think, oh, he's just talking about money because the church wants money. That, that is the farthest thing from what I'm saying. It's a, just like this verse. It's a competing God. And the only way to break it is to Take it and give it away. That's the only way. So uh, let me pray for us as we enter this time of doing that. Lord Jesus, you are our king. You are uh, all to us. You are all to us. Lord, we do not want you to just fill in the gaps. As a matter of fact, we know you won't even do that. And so we want to remove those things that would get in the way of you completely filling our soul. So we ask that you give us the courage to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.